Hey, well, again, thank you uh, for tuning in with us today. Thank you, Zach and Leanna, for leading us in worship. I'm gonna encourage you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter eight. We'll pick up in the last couple of verses there. Uh, so turn with me there, or turn your devices there. Uh, we are in the section of the story of God where we see that rampant sin has run throughout the world, uh, where the, it's, the severity of it had been uh, exposed, the seriousness of sin had been exposed, and, and God was making a way of fulfilling his promise of the one who was to come. And, and so even in spite of the flood that we just read about and the flood that, that, just, that just destroyed literally everything save Noah and his family on the earth, that God was still making making a way. God was still going to fulfill his promise that he started back uh, early in Genesis chapter 3. So uh, we see um, a long line of faithfulness in the way of Noah. Uh, We've we seen that in the last couple of uh, chapters where we saw that he was the one who through all these years uh, was faithful in building the ark. Uh, he was faithful in gathering the animals. He was faithful in going on this voyage. Uh, and so we see his faithfulness in spite of uh, the calamity that was going on around him. So not only his faithfulness, but also God's promise was being fulfilled. So let's dive into our text today. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to dive into our text in uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. And this is what the uh, text says. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. So this was after that Noah had come off of the ark, after he had disembarked from the ark and he had made a, a, an offering to the Lord, and this is what the Lord, this was the Lord's response. Uh, the verse, uh, look what it says in verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Then we go into chapter nine. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast on the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat the flesh with, with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Verse six, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image." And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is sent in the clouds. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Uh, Now, if you uh, remember from last week's message, I believe that one of the most difficult things during the flood had to be the silence that Noah was experiencing from God. I mean, have any of you ever experienced the silent treatment? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know the silent treatment. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes sometimes it happens at work, right? So you've got coworkers and your coworkers give you the silent treatment. How does that work? You're just going about your regular day. You normally have an interaction when you pass somebody or when you go to the water cooler or whenever you're sitting at table for lunch and suddenly you've got the cold shoulder. Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah, we, we all kind of probably done some of that. Or maybe it is the silent treatment between your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Anybody ever experienced one of those too? You know what that's like too. Everything seems just normal, especially for us dudes. I mean, we're somewhat oblivious to lots of things like this where we, we just ho-hum, we're, we're just kind of the dumb animals in this, uh, in this relationship and suddenly we get the silent treatment. We're not really sure why that happened. And, and I'm sure that we do it to you girls too, but most of the time it's you girls doing it to us. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen from all the dudes in the house? Yep, uh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Leanna, uh, you're the only girl here. So, uh, um, or, or maybe it's at home, you know, where it's, it, you get the silent treatment, suddenly you come in from somewhere and you don't have any idea why the silent treatment's happening, but you know that it's happening from your spouse. And you're like, I'm not sure what I did. And sometimes we just avoid it, but sometimes the silent treatment actually happens. And so it's almost like in here today, it's kind of like getting the silent treatment here where there's nobody in the room and, and I don't get a lot of feedback. So I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need your help today when you're at home and you're listening, at least I'm gonna pretend that you're not giving me the silent treatment today. But this is, um, this is the way it had to seem that God was silent to Noah. I mean, there was nothing that was going on, for, no words from God for a long time. And Noah had this huge undertaking of being on the ark with gathering all these animals and they were finally there and they had the huge silent treatment. And finally, after the ark comes to rest that God ended up speaking, the reality is that even in the tumultuous times that Noah was was uh, in the middle of, uh, he remained faithful. He remained faithful in the gathering of the animals. So as he was calling them to come and, and God was bringing them to come to get on the ark, Noah remained faithful and he saw God's hand at work and he remained faithful. He remained faithful in the bursting forth of the waters. You remember what the text said, that the waters of the heavens descended on the earth and the waters of the heavens burst up from the earth itself. That, and even in the middle of never having seen that before, Noah remained faithful from the deluge that was coming. And and even in the months of floating on the water that Noah remained faithful and finally coming to rest on on the top of Mount Ararat, that Noah remained faithful in the middle of all this and without even hearing a word from the Lord. And, And finally, after what seemed like way too long, way too long of being on this ark with all these animals, God spoke and finally said, get out. And Noah was like, 
Too bad we can't stay. You know, I've got to get out and get out of this boat. Uh, and then finally the disembarkment came and they finally got off the ark. We read about some of that last week. And, and Noah got off the boat and he built an altar to God and he, and he thanked God for the salvation that he provided to him and his family. Noah saw all this calamity. He saw the death that was around him. And Noah thanked God for the provision and the deliverance uh, from God. If you look back in verse 20 in chapter eight, this is what it said. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So he built an altar and said, God, I worship you. I thank you for delivering my family from all this calamity that was around us. Uh, so these were unprecedented circumstances, something that had never been seen before. And even in the aftermath of the flood had never been seen by Noah and his family to walk out of the ark and they be the only people literally on the face of the earth. And, and so today's text moves from, from really Noah's faithfulness and his subsequent offering to God's response uh, to Noah's offering and sacrifice. So uh, in this, first, we see, um, we see God's grace. We see grace happen. Look with me, if you will, at, um, at verse 21. This is what the text says. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma from Noah's offering, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And so this, this aroma from uh, Noah's offering pleased God. And, and when you see these words in the Bible, whenever you see these words that it was pleasing to God, it is really, it's um, uh, indicating his acceptance of the sacrifice that had been offered. Uh, so Noah's offering, uh, we talked about this word before, but Noah's offering propitiated God's wrath. He propitiated God's wrath that had been continually poured out on the earth and the sinful inhabitants. So uh, as we remember, that's what, uh, that's what the flood was. The flood was God's judgment on sin, and it was his continual judgment on sin. And as Noah and his family came out, he made an offering to the Lord, and it propitiated. So propitiation is one of those $10 terms that we talk about sometimes, but propitiation really just means a satisfying and appeasing to God. And so Noah's offering did that very thing. It appeased God. It was satisfying to God is what the, the scripture tells us here. And so, yes, this offering was for Noah's sins. It was for his sins, uh, but we'll see in this text that it was, that it was really propitiating uh, the sins of really the entire world that God had been uh, pouring his wrath out on. Uh, in verse 21, God says, I will never, say never, never curse the ground again. And so man, yes, was still sinful man and and man would still gravitate towards sin, but, but God would never again curse the ground any further. So God said he would never, say never again. Never, never said he would never strike down again ever, every living creature. And, and so we see that God graciously promised this in verse 22. Look what he says. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And so what God was saying in this is that he promised his gracious patience towards mankind. 
It says in verse 22 that the annual seasons will not be interrupted anymore. That's what, that's what God was saying here. He's like, look, I know the flood just kind of messed everything up, but going forward, you're gonna get all the seasons. This is not going to happen again. And, and really God did this for reasons that exist only within God. He doesn't give any reasons about why he says this. He just says, I'm promising you, I'm covenanting with you that I'm never going to do this again. And, and so he didn't really do this because of the goodness of man, but he did this because of the goodness of God himself. That's why he did it. Not because Noah was such a righteous guy. The scripture tells us that Noah was righteous, but he knew what man was to come. He knew what was facing the, the world as, as man would continue to go out and fill the earth again. But he said, I'm going to do it. Because of who I am, I'm promising you, I'm coveting, I'm coveting with you never to do this again. And honestly, we're still under this grace today. This promise that God made to Noah we're still under that same promise today. Despite our sin, despite the sin of the world around us, we still operate under this. Think about that. That promise that God made back then, we still get to be the benefit of today. So as we go ahead, uh, we get into chapter nine. And so God responds to Noah by uh, re repeating the blessing first that God had given to Adam, and now he extends it with some qualifications to Noah. So, so God instructed Noah and his family to basically get busy and multiply. He was like, y'all got some things to do, so uh, get busy with it and, and do this. Look what he says in verse nine. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so, so again, God charged them to fill the earth. I, in the original language, um, the Hebrew word for multiply is, it, I'm gonna try to say it rightly, it's bow, shika bow, wow. So say, say that with me. Say that with me, bow, shika, bow, wow. That, that's, the, that's the Hebrew word for multiply. Uh, uh, so, so you've learned some, you have, so you have learned some new uh, words for multiplying. <laughs> but here, God had a little different message for Noah than he did for Adam. Uh, he said, so he, uh, so, so when Adam, when Adam was created, he enjoyed a, a relationship with the animals that was a little bit different than what Noah would have. God tells Noah that he'll have dominion over the animals. Look, look what it says here in the text in verse two. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hands, they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. Now, humans were told at this point to eat meat. And honestly, that's one of my favorite points in the Bible is whenever God tells them that you can go on and you can eat any of this. I mean, this is really good news. I mean, Homer Simpson and I are like, mmm, burgers. Uh, that, that's, that's what I think of whenever I see this. You can eat it, you can make a hamburger, you can have a steak, you can have some chicken strips, you can have all those kind of things. Uh, God says you can have these things and you should. But, it, but even though the animals were delivered over for a human dominion, humans don't have wholesale rights over a God's creatures since the scripture tells us that their life or their blood is God's possession. Remember that, that their blood, their life belongs to God. 
And he is the one who is the keeper. He is the one who is the giver. He is the one who is the keeper of life. Look what it says in verse four. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. Uh, so what, what God was saying here is humans aren't called to devour animals like other animals devour animals. Um, while the blood is literally pulsing through their bodies. He said, that, that's not the way we do it as humans. I, I've seen this YouTube video about a, uh, a guy and how these dogs were coming out after him. And he was describing how the dogs come out after him. And I wish I had the copy of the YouTube video, but he mimicked the animals. And he was like, they came out. He was very calm and had a really calm demeanor. And he said, and then these dogs, they walked out and they were like, and so that's what I think about whenever I think about animals devouring one another, uh, but that's not how we operate. And, and so the, the question is, why is this true? Other than it being totally gross about eating the blood that's in the animals, uh, I believe it's because God wants us to respect life. He wants us to respect the life that he has given. Respect not only for the life, but respect for the giver of life. He's the one who gives life to you and me, he is one who gives life to our animals. He is the, the life is in the blood and God is the giver of life. And whenever we disregard the gift of life, it's an offense to the giver of life. I mean, later in the scriptures, we'll see that after years and years of blood animal sacrifices that, would, that we would see in the temple as we get on further into the Older Testament, the animal sacrifices that were made to God, that, that it will be the precious blood of the Lamb of God, the precious blood of Jesus that will be the one and only and really final atoning sacrifice uh, for all of our sin. Now, if you remember uh, before the flood, not only was humanity thoroughly corrupted. I mean, it was, the scripture said that it really was rampant throughout the entire world, save Noah and his family. The earth was filled with violence. We saw that in chapter six, that the violent men were men of renown. And, and after the flood, Noah's descendants had the potential really to descend back into this same type of culture where, where they would go back and, and they could be just as violent as they were before the flood. But they knew that the propensity was there. And so, and so God moved his declaration to Noah from not only respect for the animals, but respect for human life. Look, look what it says in verse five. Uh, it says, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And, and from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So no sin shows greater contempt or disregard for life than either a homicide or a murder. I mean, that's contempt for life, that just a total disregard for life whenever we just callously take the life of someone else. And God had said that an animal's blood may be shed but not consumed. That's what he was just talking about earlier. But then he said that a human's blood must not be shed. Uh, in Exodus, uh, Moses records that if an animal sheds human blood, then the animal should be executed. And and God demands the same kind of thing that if a human takes the life of another human. Look what he says in verse six. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So man is created in the image of God. We are image 
bearers of the creator. You and I are image bearers of God. That's a really cool thing to be able to think about ourselves, that we are image bearers of the creator of the universe. And so because of this, every man, woman, and child has immense value because God says that we have value. Say this to me, I am valuable. Yeah, I am valuable. Now say this, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. There you go. (laughs) So the blood of man belongs to God alone. That's what the scripture tells us. And so to take the life of another human is to usurp God's authority uh, over his own creatures. And thus, God says, this merits death itself whenever that happens, whenever we take the life of another person. So God says that because life is so precious, the one who takes, willfully takes another's life must suffer death at the hands of man. Now, I know that the, uh, the death penalty today in 2020 is sometimes politically and even racially motivated, and in some circles it can cause quite the kerfuffle. But to abuse this principle of life is truly an affront to the God who spoke it. Don't lose me there. That despite the the craziness that it causes whenever we talk about uh, a life being given for a life, to abuse this principle of life is an affront to the God who spoke it. And I would say this, woe to those who abuse it. Woe to those who abuse another person's life. Woe to those who willfully and wrongfully take another person's life at any stage of life. God will not be mocked in this. Verse six is God's warning to a violent world. This decree was meant to help protect human life. That's what God wants to do is protect human life. And to ignore this, to to ignore God's instruction is to encourage a society of violence. And that's the very thing that God was wanting to get away from. God wants us to respect life. And then then God closes with this in uh, verse seven. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So he says, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply. You can do it, multiply. Increase greatly, get busy, y'all. That's what he says. Fill the earth again. This is all up to you, Noah, your family. You've got to fill the earth now. And so uh, after this, God says, uh, uh, he puts out what we now call the Noah covenant. And so this is the very first covenant in the Bible. There's lots of covenants that will come in the Older Testament. You'll get the, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, the, Mos- the, the covenant from Moses and David, then you'll eventually get to the new covenant. This is what we see in verse eight as we uh, talk about the covenant. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Verse 10 um, Um, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast on the earth that is with you, as many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now I just want you, if you're a writer in your Bible, uh, I want you to write down a couple things and highlight a couple things. If you're not a writer, I encourage you to become a writer. Uh, Look back in verse nine. Uh, God says this, that 
I established my covenant. So if you're a circle, I would encourage you to circle I. I underline established. So it was God who was establishing this covenant. And he does the same thing again in verse 11. He says, I established my covenant. So God was the one establishing his covenant. And I underline, he said, never again, two times, never again in verse 11, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And so he's making some promises. He's making some covenants with people. This is the Noah's covenant. Uh, so the covenants are, first off, they are universal. Uh, say universal. Yeah, so these are universal covenants. And, and so this encompasses every human being. So whether you're a righteous human being or you're not a righteous human being, this is a covenant that goes to everyone, that every living creature on the planet. And he says, I'm not gonna kill everybody again. I'm not gonna wipe out everybody again or everything again. This is a universal covenant. And this is, this is a covenant that is unilateral. So what does unilateral mean? Say unilateral. Yeah, unilateral, which means one person is giving this covenant. This is not something where one side promises something and another side promises something else. A unilateral covenant means that one person, so in this case, it is God who is promising this one thing. He's, so God initiated it verse, in verses nine and 11. You'll see, he says, I will establish this. I will establish this covenant. Uh, and, then, and then God keeps it. He not only establishes it, but he, is, he keeps his covenant whenever he makes it, and God is the one who is responsible for it. So not only is it a unilateral covenant, it's also an unconditional covenant. And what it means is that God doesn't require anything from, from anybody else for him to keep his side of the covenant. He says, I'm promising. He is the one who is keeping it. He is the one who's saying, I'm gonna establish it. I'm going to keep it. And it's up to me and I'm not putting any conditions on you to keep it. And so God shows unconditional grace and love and mercy in this. So they, it was a covenant that is universal. It is unilateral and it is unconditional. And then, so then God gives a sign. He was like, here's your sign. And what is his sign? You know what it is? Yeah, rainbow. Yeah, it's a rainbow. Thank you. Look what he says in verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign, to the, a sign of the covenant between me and the earth that when, uh, when I bring clouds over the earth and, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So God says this, this is my bow. I'm putting my bow into the clouds. This, this could be the first rainbow. I think it probably was the first rainbow, but whether or not it was the first rainbow or not the first rainbow, the point is that God then claimed the rainbow. And he says, from now on, whenever you see the rainbow, I want you to remember this covenant that I'm making with you right now. It's really cool to see a rainbow though, right? Would you agree with that? I love to see a rainbow when I see one. I'm always looking at it, trying to find it. I mean, think about it. When, when somebody sees a rainbow, what do they say? Hey, look at the rainbow. 
Hey, look over there. And whenever I see one, I'm trying to see both ends of the rainbow. I'm like, dude, can I see the whole thing? Can I, can I find it? Or, uh, and for me, I'm like, is there a pot of gold at the, uh, at the, at the end of each rainbow? I want to know where the gold at. You know, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking about. Uh, is there a pot of gold down there? But when you see one going forward, this is what I want you to remember. I want you to think back to this. It's cool to see them, but, but God put the rainbow there for a reason. He says, this is my bow, and this is a promise that I'm making to you. And so my encouragement to you is that when you see this going on, from now on in your life, this is a sign. This is a sign, and this is literally is a message from God. I, I've had people that I've talked to before that said, man, I wish God would sometimes stick his face through the, the heavens and just allow me to see that. Here's a sign. God said, this is what I'm telling you, that this is a promise that I've made to you. Here's he's writing. It's almost like he's just painting into the sky. Remember what it was that I promised way back in the days of Noah, that I am a God who always keeps my promises. Always keeps his promises that I'll never destroy the earth ever like I did here. He reminds him, and the scripture says that the rainbow when it comes out is a reminder even to God that he'll never destroy the earth the way that he did back then. He'll never cover the earth fully with water. My friends, this is common grace. This is common grace that extends to everyone. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you get the common grace from God and the promise from God that he'll never do this again. Rainbows remind us that, that the divine wrath that was savagely just dropped on the earth and all its inhabitants, save Noah and his family, will not happen. That you and I, we have peace from the wrath of God here on this earth. And my hope for us is that this covenant and this sign will remind us not only of that promise, but of the new covenant. The new covenant that God has established. Today, the new covenant, in the new covenant, God's wrath has been propitiated. It has been satisfied. Where Noah satisfied it with the offering that he came off the ark and offered, in this new covenant, God's wrath has been satisfied by Jesus. It has been propitiated, permanently satisfied by God's Son on the cross, which gives us perfect peace with God so that all who are in Jesus find grace and peace. Jesus took the wrath so that we get the peace. So Tim Keller would say that Jesus is the greater Noah who saves his people from the waters of death by his faithful obedience and atoning sacrifice on the cross. That Jesus is the greater Noah who sets forth peace throughout the entire world. Jesus promises that, that nothing can wash us away from the security of being in him. Think about that where Noah was safe into the ark, in the ark and in the promises of God that he would be safe, we are safe whenever we trust in Jesus, whenever we enter the ark of salvation that is found in Jesus. 
because of Jesus' greater faithfulness, his righteousness is accounted towards us. So how are we part of the new covenant? How do we get the benefits from this new covenant? How are we in Jesus? How are we safe in the promises of God so that God will never hold our sins against us? The scripture says very clearly that we repent. In these days of seldom seen circumstances like we see today, whenever we're kind of having to stay away from one another and do things we've never had to do before, unprecedented some in our own lifetime, never seen anything like this. In unprecedented times like this, our call is to believe the gospel, to trust in the faithfulness of God, to trust in the faithfulness of another, to trust in the faithfulness of Jesus, to trust in the faithfulness of a way maker. Just like God made a way for Noah and his family to be saved and then to flourish, he's done the same thing for you. He's made a way for you to be saved and for you to flourish. His name is Jesus. It is our hope today that you put your hope in Jesus.